Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Bet on Chicago. My name is Joey Christopoulos, and today's episode is presented by BetOnline.ag. And BetOnline with NFL playoffs rocking and rolling right now. It remains your number one source for all your sports betting right now because you'll find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends only at BetOnline. They have live betting, free contests, live scores all the way through to the Super Bowl. So what are you waiting for? Head to BetOnline.ag right now to join. You'll receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Please make sure you use the promo code Believe B-L-E-A-V, to receive that reward bet online where the game starts ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for coming into the podcast we've got a returning guest on here i'm so excited to have him back he is the author kevin bryant he is the author of spies on the sidelines the high stakes world of nfl espionage we're here to talk about the nfl postseason super bowl's past and super bowl possible future coming up here right now but so glad to have him back on for a third time kevin how are you happy new year welcome to the pod Hey Joey, thanks again for having me on. Appreciate it. I'm I'm doing well, man. Um, so real quick before we dive into a little bit about what we're going to talk about here today, um, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you to just. I know you've been on the pod a couple of times, uh, but it's been a little while, so maybe if people are coming in to check out the show for the first time. First of all, thank you for doing that. Second of all, uh, Kevin, just talk a little bit about you know just give us a short little primer, a little bit about you know um, spies on the sidelines, real quick. Uh, the book that just came out, man, you're doing so much great press for it. Uh, the book is amazing. It is a must read for all NFL fans and sports fans out there. So just give the audience a little taste about what it's about right now. Yeah. So Spies on the Sidelines is all about the techniques that NFL teams use trying to collect information on their opponents in order to get a game day advantage. And it also goes into um, all the countermeasures that teams employ to defend against those collection techniques. So it hits everything from the permissible techniques that every single NFL team uses, um, such as advanced scouting and, um, you know, going through, going through the media to see if, you know, teams leak some information on TV or radio to uh, questionable techniques, um, such as trying to steal signals of teams or lip read to you know what I consider the black arts, those those techniques that are they violate NFL rules and policies, and sometimes even state or national laws, um, such as trying to steal uh, trying to steal paperwork um, or using listening devices. Um, so it goes through it goes through all of that with um, lots of other techniques that I haven't mentioned. It gets pretty pretty crazy and wild, um, and just you know the book shows just how far teams are willing to go to win and it covers the whole history of the NFL. And I've got stories in there from every single NFL team. Yeah. Your, your book does such a fantastic job of detailing, um, you know, maybe, you know, we all have those gray areas, right? Where the whole concept of competition in sports is to try and gain an advantage. Look no further than the simple thing of, I don't know if you caught it, the Buccaneers uh, Dallas Cowboys game on Monday night, Micah Parsons kind of hanging around the Buccaneers huddle, just, you know, trying to stick around <laughs> just a little bit longer. And Ryan Jensen's like, wait a second, right. get out of there. What are you doing? Yeah. Um, uh, you uh -huh. know, it, it, it starts as small as that. 
and then ratchets itself all the way up to stuff that maybe makes major headlines. Now, the first time you came on to the show, uh, we talked extensively about uh, the contents of the book, and then you came back for a specific one-off episode where we talked about the anniversary of Spygate, which kind of really gets up to that higher level, maybe even, dare I say, beyond that gray area of what we would consider possibly cheating, cheating or spying um, in the NFL. Today, Kevin, uh, you came up with this idea. I'm so happy that you're here, but we want to talk about um, Super Bowls, uh, you know what I mean? Possible spying, cheating, impropriety um, in, you know, what is now considered one of the major, not just sporting events, but just days in the American calendar. I mean, Super Bowl Sunday is right up there next to Christmas, uh, Thanksgiving, um, 4th of July. And I would say maybe Super Bowl Sunday might be fourth on that list now at this point. And, you know, as you, not to pull a line from your book, but the stakes are very high for that game. And we're here to talk about it today. So let's just start um, from the broad aspect, Kevin. Um, you know, we've got these teams now. We're down to our final four. You know, we had wild card weekend last weekend. If you're a team, let's just say, I don't want to name drop any of them. Let's see any of the teams that are still available in the postseason right now. You know, if you were, if you had to take a guess, when do you think some of these teams might be kind of when when do they start the advanced scouting for a possible Super Bowl matchup? And if they were to start collecting, spying, whatever it is, angles, when do you think that process began? Long before this time? Or do you think that's maybe now starting to percolate now as we're still maybe three or so weeks away from the Super Bowl? Yeah. So during the regular season, teams are typically doing advanced scouting it usually at least three or four games ahead. So um, I have to imagine by the time they hit the playoffs, um, you know, and have a good idea of as soon as they knew a team's going to be in the playoffs and they know that they're going to be in the playoffs, they're probably starting that process um, as early as they possibly can to, you know, to take a look at the other team that they may be facing um, by the start of the playoffs, um, by the, by the first game that has been played, if they haven't scouted every single possible um team that is in mm. their conference to be able you know possible matchups yeah you're just thinking you know you got to cover your bases you know you think obviously you know people from the bills the Bengals, maybe even now the jaguars lucky them are obviously going to be have their eyes kind of looking at that eagles game a little bit just to see if they can kind of you know pick apart any couple of small advantages and long gone are the days where, you know, AFC and NFC teams don't necessarily meet up during the regular season. They see each other all the time now. Mm -hmm. So you can get game tape, but there are these little tiny little, um, you know, we'll just call them advantages that you can kind of pick up and they've begun since the beginning of time. So, Kevin, you know, let's go all the way back and let's kind of walk through uh, the beginning of of trying to gain an advantage in one of these huge major Super Bowl events. And I asked you if you could earmark one of them for me. And you started in 1958. So for some of the people that yeah. are saying, you know, the sport is out of control. Um, you know, what are we doing with this cheating thing? Um, it's a tale as old as time. And uh, so if you can kind of walk us through and give us a little bit of the scope of what happened in 1958, which, uh, which seems to be, you know, kind of the beginning or at least maybe the first evidence of spying, cheating, trying to take advantage or gain some sort of competitive advantage in what was called an NFL championship game at the time. Yeah. I mean, spying in the NFL goes way back further than 1958. It has been around <laughs> since the very, very beginning since year one, but 
having said that, I think, you know, this, this example is, you know, clearly shows that during the Super Bowl, you know, the stakes are raised. Um, you know, as you mentioned, it's a huge day, uh, especially nowadays. I mean, it's really, it's a coronation ceremony for a mm -hmm. team. So, you know, teams want to win this game super bad. And the difference between a Super Bowl week and every other week of preparation is it's not a week. It's two weeks. So what does that mean? You've got, you have extra time. And teams do not have much time during the regular season to prepare for opponents, which is why they're doing their advanced scouting, right? Three or four opponents ahead, because by the time that week rolls around, man, it's, you know, you're, you're just, you're going through a schedule that's preset and you're executing. But that Super Bowl week, you've got an extra one. What are you going to do with that time? Well, you can change some stuff up. You can add things. But likewise, you can potentially try to figure out, hey, what's your opponent going to change? What can't we see on tape? What he's doing on practice. And this is an example of that. So we've got 1958 NFL championship game. Baltimore Colts versus the New York Giants. And for the Colts, um, they've got an assistant coach, Bob Shaw. Now, Shaw's a good dude, okay? And, but, um, and he's all about fair play. But he gets approached by his head coach, Weeb Eubank, who, he's one of the scoundrels of the NFL. Uh, long before there was, you know, Al Davis and uh, Bill Belichick, you know, to take over that, uh, take over that role. And Weeb said, hey, um, you know, what I'd like you to do, Bob, is to go spy on the Giants practice field. And Bob Shaw's not too sure about this. Um, he's really humming. Uh, uh. So next up, Carol Rosenblum, the Colts um, owner, approaches Shaw and says, hey, Shaw, we'd really like you to go spy. And furthermore, I know you're really, I know you're nervous about this. I know you're scared. I know you're worried about all the what ifs, right? Here's, here's what I'll do for you. I'll make you a deal. You go spy. And if you, if the NFL finds out and you lose your job, you're banned from the NFL, I will find you another job. I will give you another job outside of the NFL. Okay. okay? So at this point, Bob Shaw's like, you know, he's low man on the totem pole. He's like, well, you know, if Carol Rosenblum, who is renowned for you do it his way or you leave the franchise. Okay, that's his reputation. He's like, man, I gotta go do this now, right? So he does. Um, he sneaks up onto the roof of a building that um, he, that is overlooks the Giants practice field that they're using, and he sits there and he watches this practice of what goes by. Now, he doesn't really get a lot. You know, he comes back and basically reports, yeah, eh, they made well this, you know, they had this one play. But pretty much other than that, it's, it's the same old, same old. Nothing much has changed, which everybody says, well, okay, then it wasn't worth anything. But the reality is, man, that's worth a lot to teams. Because if you're a coach and you're like, well, what do we have to prepare for? You don't know. There's all these unknowns, right? Yeah. Like, how are they going to employ their star running back? Will they use them differently? Um, you know, are they going to throw in some wrinkles, some trick plays? Well, if you know they're not doing all of that, then all you have to prepare for is we got to prepare for what's on tape. Yep. Let's go. And so, and that's what they did. So this game that becomes known as the greatest game ever played, 
right, that goes into overtime and it is just a a killer game. The Colts, the Colts win it, you know, by the, you know, by the skin of their teeth. Um, and what's the difference? Um, you know, who knows? Um, it, maybe it comes down to something as simple as this, you know, and um, yeah, but it just goes to show, you know, how far teams are willing to go. And also that, you know, some of these guys that are doing the spying, a lot of them, they're low-level members of staffs and they don't even want to be doing it. You know, they get pressured into this job by people that are higher up in the organization and get paid a lot more money. Yeah, maybe to further your point a little bit, isn't this what makes the NFL so specific and interesting where, you know, we, if, when you look at baseball and you talk about stealing signs, right? Now that mm -hmm. can leverage an advantage in a situation, but you still need to execute at a particular time. I would say that the NFL is a little bit different, right? Where you brought up such a great point where you can look at the tape and you can understand, all right, this is what they like to do. They like to run outside zone. Um, when they get in this down and distance, they're going to run play action here. They like bringing this guy across in motion here because, you know, X, Y, and Z, so on and so forth. But if you look back in the Super Bowl, it doesn't happen every year, but it, almost every year we do see something unorthodox in a Super Bowl, right? Whether it is, you know, an Antoine Randall L throwing for a touchdown, whether even more recently the Philly special, right? No one saw that yep. play coming out of the book against the Patriots. And, and as you mentioned, this is why, um, this is why, you know, again, the stakes are so high for this type of Super Bowl to find out what is the one wrinkle because that one wrinkle in an NFL game can mean the difference between a Super Bowl champion and, you know, what, runner-up. Yes, and so you mentioned the Philly special. I think that is a great example. So for the, that Super Bowl, um, the Eagles were so paranoid about the um, Patriots learning, learning about it that they weren't even willing to practice the play leading right. up to the Super Bowl. They just talked about it, right? They, yeah. That's it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because they're like, yeah, if we if we if we show it, if we go out and practice it, the the Patriots are going to have a spy somewhere. You know, and whether that's right or, you know, wrong, probably wrong, but the Patriots had that you know, the stigma to them. Um and you know almost this like like they're omnipresent like they're everywhere and they can do everything when it comes to spying you know and that's just how paranoid everybody became um but you know the play works beautifully nonetheless and it caught you know it uh caught the pats on gu off guard and you know it was a, a key play during the game yeah and uh, we've talked about in the past about the patriots you know for the people that um, want to obviously criticize them and maybe rightfully so for some of the tactics and some of the ways that they've uh, have or have not cheated, right? Or those gray areas. What you're bringing up though, just the specter of the possibility that they could do something like that is a bit of a gamesmanship, a mind game, if you will, that gives them a competitive advantage, right? Absolutely. And it's not, yeah. it's not a possibility. Okay. So it is and it isn't. So, um, you know, we had oh, recently, man, I'm trying to remember what Super Bowl was. Um, allegation of a drone being used um, by the Patriots in the lead up to the game. Let me see if I can find where that was. Yeah, so yeah. it was versus the Falcons in, in yeah, the yeah. Patriots um, Falcons Super Bowl in uh, 2017. So there was a drone that flew over the Falcons practice and everybody was like, oh, it's got to be the Patriots. 
Well, most likely it was just some kid who was flying this thing overhead. And, you know, the drone got forced down um, by security, which really makes me wonder how, because I've talked to a lot of drone experts who will tell you that there are a lot of ways to get a drone out of the sky, but all of them are illegal in the U.S. But, you know, putting that aside. Um, okay. <laughs> putting, putting that aside. Um, part, that's our part four. What's when you come back for a fourth time? <laughs> we'll talk right, about that. right. <laughs> but, you know, that fear that this could be the Patriots one, you know, stems back to other activities that they had done, you know, to Spygate um, and even to the Rams Patriots Super Bowl which preceded that, which, you know, we're going to talk about that in a little bit, I think, mm -hmm. um, where we have a known and confirmed Patriot spy at a Rams practice. So, you know, the teams are paranoid for a reason. Yeah, absolutely. So let's move on. Um, you know, let's move on just not a decade more. Um, this one is maybe my favorite. Um, 1969, the AFL championship between the Chiefs and the Raiders. Uh, Kevin, walk us through um, the circumstance and what happened uh, regarding that particular game and the lead up to that game. Raiders going up against the Chiefs back in the AFL championship game. Now, this is before both teams moved over to the NFL and joined the league. Uh, so before the game, you um, have a, a potential, uh, a self-claimed fan of the Chiefs calling coach Hank Stram, the head coach of the Chiefs, at his hotel room. And the guy says, hey, I was in a restaurant, and um, Daryl LaMonica, the Raiders quarterback, was drawing some stuff on a napkin, um, and I believe they're plays, and I want to drop them off to you. And so, you know, Hank Strom's like, okay, um, you know, come by the hotel. And, um, and yeah, we'll, I'll, I'll, I'll grab him for you. Now, when he was having this conversation, Monsignor Mackey, who's the team's unofficial clergyman, is there in the room with Coach Strom. And he says, hey, Coach, you know, this, that sounds great and all that, but you can't be the one to do this. You can't be the one to, to, to take, you know, these plays from this guy. You know, because they're both like, you know, it could, they're going up against the Raiders and Al Davis. Right. It could be it could just be a setup from Al Davis. One, mm -hmm. he could be trying to get you in trouble with the league for stealing paperwork. Or it could just be a bunch of garbage that he's trying to feed you false information. So you think you know what's coming and you prepare for it. But, you know, in reality, it's just a waste of your time. So anyways, Monsignor Mackey says, you know, you can't you can't be the one to get this information. So Coach Stram goes, well, OK, then you're up. Why don't you do it? You know, which wasn't at all what he meant. So, um, but, um, you know, Monsignor Mackey replies something like, uh, but, you know, but what if this stuff's real? And, you know, Coach Strom replies, exactly. You messed this up and I'm going to put you on waivers, um, you know, threatening to fire his clergyman. So, um, you know, lo and behold, they go through with it all. They give this fan um, some season tickets in you know in return for or not season tickets but super bowl tickets um not super bowl because it wasn't super bowl afl championship tickets mm -hmm. in exchange for this paperwork and they take a look at it and it looks legitimate it looks like the raiders are going to use their star wide receiver um in the slot 
which he had never done before all season long. And so, you know, uh, the Chiefs prepare for it, like that's going to happen. And lo and behold, um, during the second half, the Raiders did. They employed their star receiver and put him in the slot, and the Chiefs were prepared for it. And the, the Raiders, who had crushed, I mean, crushed the Chiefs in the preseason and had crushed the team before they played him, who were the clear favorites going into that game, um, they got beat by the Chiefs 17-7. to And, you know, it wasn't, you know, was it huge? Was it the overriding factor? I don't know. You know, it wasn't, you know, I, I think the Chiefs would have won the game nonetheless, but it certainly helped prepare them. It certainly um, was a bit of a spoiler for the Raiders. It's something that they thought was like, hey, they won't be prepared for this. We're going to catch them. Yeah. Um, it didn't work out that way. And that's, you know, I think a great story of, you know, I think as fans, we all want to be, be able to impact the game and help our team and, you know, do whatever we can. Um, and this is just a great story of, you know, one fan who was actually able to do that. I love it. I love it so much because, yeah, you're talking about, you know, when you talk about uh, game theory, right? Like there's obviously these are human beings playing the game. So there's a lot of mental preparation that goes into it. And one of my favorite words that used in sports all the time is discombobulated. Um, just to maybe even the, the specter of seeing a wide receiver in the slot, that discombobulation can sometimes throw a team off for four or five, six plays. But if they have the knowledge to at least be prepared for it or not be surprised for it, you know, who's to say, right? Like what that does for a person's inner confidence when they're actually playing the game and lo and behold, they win the game. Um, this also kind of reminds me too of, you know, we've we've done these podcasts before and we've talked about, you know, you've already mentioned on this one, drones. Uh, you know, uh, we, have, we have these secret tablets now in the NFL. Uh, we talk about PSI levels and footballs when this really <laughs> literally just comes down to scribbling something down on a napkin. And a very famous Chicago Bears story is that, um, George Hallis is the coach of the Bears. I, 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 I don't know if you've ever heard this before, and it might be myth, but he had a dog that he would keep on the sidelines. And sometimes if he ran out of timeouts and needed an extra moment to either read a formation or to understand what was going on, he would let the dog loose and just let it run on the field for 10 or 15 seconds. Oh, silly dog. Someone's got to get a hold on that dog. But it would give him those 15 to 20 seconds to maybe just see a little bit about what, you know, maybe try and get whatever angle they can to put a, a team in a position to succeed, how far we've come. Right. Uh, but right. it's funny, the evolution of it all and that the attention, the attention's still there. Right. But the way that we go about it is just different now. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a great story. I had read that one before and, yeah. you know, George Hallis was, you know, we were talking about those coaches that are willing to go into those black areas. It all started with, George Hallis and the Bears, you know, mm -hmm. and, and Hallis is considered the, you know, uh, one of the founders of the NFL, if not the founder. And, you know, he was a guy who allegedly would even use ball boys that were, you know, um, when a visiting team would come to play, he would have, you know, towel boys in the other team's locker room um, that he would employ, you know, and allegedly they would come back and report information to Coach Hallis about what the other team was discussing and game plans for the, you know, in that locker room. So, um, yeah, it's been going on from the very, very beginning. Yeah, like a Game of Thrones reference. It's George Hallis's little birds, right? His little <laughs> sends his little birds out. Yes. They come back and give him information, and then he gives them candy, and he moves on. I also heard that he was really into uh, itching powder on soap. 
which just seems kind of like a like kind of like a dick move. I don't know. I don't know how that helps you win games. Uh, well, there's been a lot of teams, both college and pro level, that you know, uh, there's there's no hot water in the visiting team shower uh-huh. room. You know, yeah, and yeah. these are just these are just the games that are played. Yeah. <laughs> Make your life miserable. Um, uh, we got we got two more I wanted to cover. There was one I wanted to ask you about a little bit. I, I was trying to look around. You know, you you brought this pretty comprehensive list of of teams attempting to gain an advantage before a Super Bowl. One of the ones that I found was really interesting was I wanted to talk about the San Francisco 49ers of the 80s. And I just wanted to get your take on whether you would consider this uh, gamesmanship an advantage what way or another. But so the first one is uh, Jerry Rice has publicly stated that he he did deploy stickum at times on his hands. Um, to help him maybe grip the football, maybe catch the football a little bit easier. The other one that I thought was so interesting, Kevin, was that Joe Montana has also publicly said that he his offensive linemen used to put um, I might be getting it wrong, but like silicon or like they, he would put they would put a substance on their pads to make them extra slippery. Yep. Um, now I don't think that this is you know this isn't rocket science here too as well. And clearly, if it's not against the rules, it's okay. But isn't this a big part of, you know, the game in your book, honestly, is these teams pushing the limits of what isn't technically illegal yet, right? Right. And sometimes even what is, well, I won't say illegal, but they, they break NFL rules and bylaws. Yes. So yeah. absolutely. And, you know, that's not using stick them or greasing up your uniform. So many teams did that. So many players were involved with that. Um but what I will say is it's a lot like spying uh, or the, you know, the collection techniques that teams use in the sense that the teams that are winning, they are the teams that are willing to go to those links. And I mean, you can see it, you know, I've got, I've got example after example in my book of, you know, just how far NFL teams are willing to go to win games, you know, you know, to give you a, a example, like Mike Shanahan, you know, when he was coaching the, the Broncos, um, he actually, trying to remember what, I think it was the 19, it was 98 or 99 Super Bowl, 98, when they were playing the Packers. So they had this practice hill that overlooked, um, this hill that overlooked the practice field where the Broncos were practicing in San Diego. And Shanahan didn't like this hill because it just sat right over there. It was a great view. Any team that, if the Packers wanted to spy, that was where they were going to be. So what does Shanahan do? He goes and hires 18 Navy SEALs to secure the practice field, which sounds ridiculous. <laughs> and it is. But if you want to win a Super Bowl, like the Broncos did that year, that has to be the links that you're willing to go to to get it done. Because anything less isn't going to do it. Because every team is trying hard, really hard. And by the time you get to the Super Bowl, it's just a comparison of ridiculousness yeah. of, <laughs> of, you know, of the measures you're going to go to to try to win that game. Yeah, yeah. so, uh, you know, I, I don't, I'm not expecting you to have the definitive answer to this question, but it's got me kind of thinking, and you, and you are, you've been a government employee, you've worked for the government before. I, obviously, you studied um, different elements of human nature. So what do you think is more 
likely, and we can maybe just distill this down to sports or if you want to broaden it, if you want to, what do you think is more likely someone that is going to be more willing to bend the rules to get to the success that they want for the first time? Or is someone more likely to continue to, to bend the rules to continue to stay at the success that they've already achieved? Does that does that make sense? It's a hu- oh. it's almost like a human nature question. Is it is it the are you more likely to cheat on the journey there, or are you more likely to cheat to stay on top? So I mean, <laughs> it's a really it's a really good question, right? Um, I don't know how, I don't know the answer to that question. Okay, yeah. what I will say is that once you cross that line, mm-hmm. it's hard to go back. Right. Mm-hmm. We've all we, we've all been there at something with our life, whatever bad habit it is, whether it's eating junk food or whether it's telling lies or whatever it may be. Once you cross that magical line, it gets easier and easier to keep slipping up. Mm-hmm. And so you see those. My book was spies on the sidelines. I've got a lot of examples of a lot of the, a lot of the same coaches. They have story after story after story. And it's because they went down that road and they just kept on going, going down it. What it comes down to is it's really hard to win in the NFL. Really, really hard to win in the NFL. And especially if you're a new head coach, you've got one shot, okay? The reality is the chances of you ever getting a second opportunity as a head coach are very slim. I don't know what the numbers are. Maybe you got a 10 or 20% chance of getting a second opportunity later in your career, but that's about it, right? It doesn't happen to most. So these new coaches are, they, man, they've got to win, right? Because you're talking, I mean, think about the salary difference that you're dealing with. Think about just the prestige and just the self-fulfillment of, man, I'm an NFL head coach. Or, yeah, you were that NFL head coach who couldn't hack it, who went, you know, two and 14 or two and 16 or whatever it is, you know, and like, yeah, you were a nobody like you, you know, so they've got a lot of incentive to win. And then once you get there, of course, um, like a Belichick, man, it's, it's, it's a legacy. It's a legacy yeah. thing. You want to be that you want to win. You want to win them all. You want to be that, you know, you want to be Tom Brady. And so, you know, there's a lot of incentive to cheat, to survive and then to cheat, to, win championships or build a legacy. It's really interesting too, where, you know, when you're talking about coaches, no matter what the sport is, whether it's the NFL or any other one, you know, there's not a lot of adjectives that we can necessarily attach to a coach. We can attach all kinds of adjectives to a player, you know, athletic, dazzling, spectacular, clutch, all these different kinds of adjectives. But really when it comes to a coach, is he a great coach? And is he a winner? right that's that's it right that's Mm -hmm. it and that's such an interesting uh point that you brought up too that you know once you do cross the line maybe into the land of success or maybe you cross the line into the land of that gray area the only thing that you do is your competitive spirit keeps trying to develop that right and continuously evolve upon it and evolve upon it which maybe is a transition over to perhaps I don't think ground zero because we've covered it on a previous pod this is not the first time Belichick tried this out but it is the first time that may be documented during a Super Bowl that Belichick um, attempted something like this. It's the 2002 Super Bowl between the Rams and the Patriots. Um, fairly well documented, and we've talked about it in a previous pod, but this is when, you know, the greatest show on turf, this Rams offense that 
that had some amazing Hall of Fame players like Torrey Holt and Marshall Falk and an eventual Hall of Fame quarterback and Kurt Warner, an unstoppable force, if you will. And the Patriots somehow were able to pull it off and, and beat them in the Super Bowl. And, uh, you know, there was a little bit uh, there, there's something that came out of that, Kevin. And, and, and what was it as we began to learn years later about what the Patriots might have or might not have done? Right. So years later, um, you know, when everything with Spygate and all of that, the aftermath of it is all coming out and, and too light. Um, so, you know, there were allegations for a number of years that potentially the Patriots had been recording other teams' practices, okay? But there's never been any proof of that, okay? Mm-hmm. The closest we can get is when Josh McDaniels went over to the Broncos. He brought along a big videographer with him, and that videographer ended up taping a 49ers walkthrough practice before the Broncos played him. So, you know, and where did the videographer get, you know, learn this? You know, uh, you know, most likely from his time with the <laughs> Patriots. But, yes. you know, we don't have anything confirmed, okay? But anyways... So we've got this theory out there, okay? So um, as it ends up, um, in reality, what happens is that instead of recording the practice like everybody thinks, um, the, the two teams held a walkthrough practice at the Super Bowl stadium on the same day. The Patriots practice first. And then the Rams practice second. Now, after the when the Patriots were done practicing, their whole staff left, except for a couple videographers, okay, <laughs> who didn't didn't tape anything, didn't record anything, um, but they did sit there and watch the entire practice, which the Rams were aware of. You know, they the, the these guys didn't make the the patriots videographers didn't make any big secret that they were there they actually had patriots paraphernalia you know shirts or sweatshirts whatever that had right. had you know patriots logos on it all that the question for belichick going into the game was how are the rams going to use mike um you know how are they going to use marshall falk the rams star running back and the rams had planned to employ him in a couple very unique ways they were going to use him to return kickoffs for one um, and they were also going to use him to um, catch, like, c- catch a lot of passes out of the backfield, which he really hadn't done much of whatsoever during the regular season. So, and, and as well as a few other little wrinkles there. Um, during the walkthrough practice, the Patriots videographers saw all of this, okay? And when they were done, one of them goes back and debriefs the Patriots' defensive, defensive coach. Um, and says, hey, guess what I saw? Blah, 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 blah. And because of this, uh, the Patriots know everything that's coming. Um, you know, a lot of Rams later came out and this is like, hey, it was like they were in our huddle, you know? Well, that's because mm-hmm. they, they knew what yeah, they were going to do. <laughs> right. Uh, they weren't in your huddle, they were just at your practice. Um, and so the Patriots pull this huge, huge upset against the Rams and end up, you know, winning the Super Bowl. And, um, and, and lo and behold, you know, I mean, they're sitting there and they're watching a practice. And it was, honestly, the Rams didn't have anyone to blame but themselves because they should have caught this. Was it sneaky of the Patriots? Absolutely. Is it questionable? Yes. 
What did Roger Goodell say about the whole thing? Eh, pretty much nothing. He downplayed the whole thing. Actually, when he was interviewed, he was like, yeah, there was nothing new that came out of that. Like, you know, it was just, you know, water under the bridge. Yes. Uh, you know, there was no recording. Yes, the, you know, the Patriots had some people there, but there's nothing to that whatsoever. Because, you know, do you really want to punish a Super Bowl winning team? And, and, and if you do, how do you do that? Do you take a Super Bowl away from them? You know, it's right. And it's this incredible story because it was very much a David versus Goliath that year. I mean, everyone yeah. thought the Rams were the presumptive favorites and, and you used the word coronation before. This was another moment of coronation for the, mm -hmm. for the Rams at that particular time. And, you know, I'm just trying to think of like, you know, what the other side of the argument is. Well, the Rams, you know, the Patriots just executed better. And if the Rams knew it wasn't working, they should have they should have moved off of it. All that other kinds of stuff. Um but at the end of the day, though, you know, it is the the Patriots and specifically Belichick pushing that line of what he would consider preparation, you know what I mean, to the nth degree of of trying to get his players as mentally prepared as possible for the game. And, and does he know when exactly that play is going to happen? No, but they can understand when the formation is going to happen. They can mentally be prepared for the possibility for it to happen. Yep. And, and and that's a bit of the game theory that he continuously pushes and and clearly in the years to come continuously deployed and developed that method, you know, in you right. know, years to come. Well, one of the other things that they, you know, the Patriots learned from sitting in and, and watching that practice was, uh, you know, uh, goal line. What's their what are they going to try to use to punch in from the, you know, the, the one or the two yard line? And yep. that was that was some of the key information, which is I mean, that's what that's every huge. coach wants to know. It's huge, right? Because, yep. you know, one yard on a third and one or a fourth and one, you know, and knowing what play is upcoming, it's a huge, huge deal. So, um, so it was, it was, you know, it was advantageous. Do the Patriots win in spite of it? I don't know. You know, that's, 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 uh, that's the million dollar question right there. But it is, it was certainly some, um, some key information. And just the fact that Bill Belichick wanted to know how Marshall Falk was going to be used more than anything out there tells you how important that information is. Yeah. How important that information is, how great of a player Marshall Falk is too, as well. Yep. Um, and, you know, obviously Adam Venteri still has to make those field goals, but, but clearly, you know, they walked into the game with the belief that they could win that game, you know, probably based on some of this information. Um, I'm here with Kevin Bryant, the author of Spies on the Sidelines, the High Stakes World of e uh, NFL Espionage. Um, available anywhere right now. You can get the hardcover. Uh, it's audio too, right? You can get the audio uh, by the audio stream too as well, which is fantastic. Um, one final one for you. You tagged uh, the 2016 Super Bowl between the Panthers and the Broncos. I find this one to be really fascinating, and I'm kind of curious to hear uh, what you were able to learn about the preparation heading into this matchup and then the obvious outcome of, uh, you know, a surprise, a surprise victory for the Broncos that year. Yeah, I think this is a great story that illustrates how permissible techniques can really impact a game and mm -hmm. have a huge effect. So, yeah, you know, going into that Super Bowl between the uh, Panthers and Broncos, you've got Cam Newton for Carolina, who had just torn up the league that year right nobody can stop it uh the broncos have a great defense um i would argue probably one of the top five defenses of all time but you've got peyton manning in his you know waning year and he's really struggling he doesn't have the arm strength he used to have 
Um, he's clearly, you know, this is, this is it. This is his swan song. So uh, Wade Phillips, uh, the Broncos defensive coordinator, is really, really worried. He knows that the Broncos defense has to stop Cam Newton and really hold him to a very minimum number of points because they're not going to put it. The Broncos offense isn't going to be able to put up a lot. So he starts studying the Panthers offense in depth, in incredible depth. I mean, they're going through and watching every single game over and over, trying to figure out how do we stop them. And what they find is a couple of things that the rest of the league had missed all year long. Hmm. So one is that the Panthers offensive line was highly regarded and thought of as, hey, this is the best line in the league, or at least close to it. Well, the Broncos realized, you know what? It's a good line, but the reason they look so great is that anytime the other team has a good pass rusher, they're double teaming that person. They learned that Cam Newton, who is great at scrambling, only likes to scramble on set on on, on run play calls, yeah, design runs, yeah. right? Uh-huh. And he doesn't like to do impromptu scrambles. So the Broncos say, okay, one thing. Like the rest of the league was scared to blitz, but we're going to blitz because Cam Newton isn't going to scramble according to what we've seen. And two, we're going to employ a defense where we bring as many pass rushers attacking Cam Newton as they, as the Panthers have offensive linemen or any offensive players on the line of scrimmage. Mm -hmm. We're not going to let them double team. And when the Broncos have Von Miller, um, oh, Demarcus Ware. Yeah, Demarcus Ware. Thank you. Like those two guys. I mean, Hall of Famers, right? Yep. Future Hall of Famers. And left one on one, they just they crushed. Um, they just tore up Cam Newton. I mean, hit him a ridiculous number of times, just like they had done to Tom Brady the week before. Um, mm-hmm. Caused a fumble that ended up, you know, recovered in the end zone. And the defense made all the plays. Um, they were just magnificent. But it all came down to that game plan of what Wade Phillips was able to put together because of film study. That that's what's so interesting too is like the permissible line, um, you know, takes a ton of hard work, right? And it takes also the ingenuity and innovativeness that we're talking about when you do cross the line a little bit and get into that gray area. And I, this is what also kind of fascinates me about baseball a little bit is that there is also that gray area in baseball of how do you leverage a situation to your advantage. And you can do it through research and study, but also you can pick up on certain things that, you know, that teams do that can become, and I, I don't mean to say, you know, they can become quote unquote cheat codes, right? And that's what it looks like. That's what the Broncos defense did. They figured out a way, you know, if we push this button, right, all of a sudden their offense can fall apart like this. The same way in baseball where, you know, if we throw a certain pitch in this situation or present this in a certain area, we can get a guy out. Um, and that's what's so fascinating about it. And I think about a couple of other Super Bowls. You know, we did mention earlier uh, the Patriots and Phillies Super Bowl. Just kind of the way that the Eagles dismantled a Belichick defense in a Super Bowl um, with with the aggression and with Nick Foles. I mean, again, that is that is hard work. That is practice put onto the field. And, and you see the results of it, too, as well. I mean, there's been plenty of examples of that. And, um, yeah, I'm really curious to see because – you know, I, I, maybe we'll land on this a little bit. You know, let's look forward to this upcoming Super Bowl. I think the one guy out there right now is still Patrick Mahomes, right? Where I think if you are an opposing team, 
and we're talking about film study and we're talking about permissible practices and we're trying to find an edge. He still seems like the guy, right, Kevin? Or maybe I'm throw someone else out there. Is he the one guy that other teams still stay up at night being like, how do we get this guy off this game? Where are the cracks? Where are the cracks in his game that we can exploit? No, you know, being a Broncos fan here reminds me a lot of what Elway was. You know, just that guy that like, if you if he's got 30 seconds and the ball at the end of the game, Broncos Broncos were gonna win. And that's you know, that's Patrick Mahomes nowadays. It's just like you do not, I mean, we obviously saw that you know, uh, last year during the playoffs versus yep. the Bills, where it's just like, are you kidding me? You know, and yeah, he is, um, he's just unreal. And so, you know, coaches that are that are trying to game plan, it's a matter of identifying strengths and weaknesses. You're trying to, you're trying to find what does he not do well, <laughs> which is almost nothing, right? I mean, the NFL has been looking at this for some time, but right. you're trying to see what doesn't he do well and how do we force him into that? It's not easy. Um, yeah. and, and, we, and and could it be? It could it be Kevin. It could be a season by season thing, right? Like what makes him uncomfortable right now? You right. know what I mean? Maybe yeah. in seasons past, you know, whatever it is, you know, running a defensive tackle on a twist up the middle, getting in his face. Maybe a couple seasons ago, gave him a hard time. He's mastered that. Maybe now it's about bringing safety blitz pressure, right? You got to look at it on a year right. by year basis and see what bothers him. So they evolve as players, like you just mentioned. But their team evolves as well. So just because, you know, a few years ago he was comfortable with something, well, if his offensive linemen have changed and maybe they're not as strong at his position or maybe he knew, okay, if they're blitzing, I'm always going to go to my slot receiver real quick. Um, and he had definitely had a stud there. Now that that slot receiver, okay, that guy's in with the Dolphins now. There's, there's my speedster. He's gone. Am yeah. I as comfortable now getting the, rid of that ball that fast? I don't know the answer to that, but it can change. And so teams have to constantly, you know, look at that, diagnose it and try to try to figure, try to figure their opponents out like that. Kevin, we got to get you out of here. Kevin Bryant, he is the author of Spies on the Sidelines, the high stakes world of NFL espionage. You can get it anywhere where books are sold. Get it on your Kindle. You can get it on audio. Listen to it in your car on the way. It is a must listen for any sports fan, any NFL fan, and especially with this Super Bowl coming up right now. I mean, this is. This is uh, one of America's holidays coming up, so you want a little bit of learn a little bit about the history of the game and what could possibly happen as teams prepare to win this ultimate prize. Uh, you got to check out Kevin's book, uh, Kevin. Man, great to have you back on the pod. Always great when you reach out. Great to see you. I'm always rooting for your success, and thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, thanks, George. Appreciate it a bunch. Today's episode is presented by BetOnline.ag. 50% welcome bonus throughout the whole NFL playoffs when you use promo code BLEAV. Make sure you check it out. Get in the game. Win a little cash. Watch some NFL playoffs. What better way to spend the next couple of months? Thank you so much for tuning into this show. Be well, be safe. Please be good to each other. We'll be back soon. Remember, when in doubt, always bet on Chicago. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.